Eddie Mayer on LBC. With Sage, powering local businesses to boss it. It's Friday, it's a quarter to five. Here is Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, what to say at the end of this absolutely awful, gut-wrenching American Week? There is only one place to start, in the East Room of the White House last night. These American service members who gave their lives, it's an overused word, but it's totally appropriate here, were heroes. Heroes who have been engaged in a dangerous, selfless mission to save the lives of others. They're a part of an airlift, an evacuation effort unlike any scene in history, with more than 100,000 American citizens, American partners, Afghans who helped us, and others taken to safety in the last 11 days. They're a part of the bravest, most capable, the most selfless military on the face of the earth. And they're part of simply what I call the backbone of America. They're the spine of America. The best the country has to offer. Jill and I, our hearts ache, like I'm sure all of you do as well, for all those Afghan families who lost loved ones, including small children, or been wounded with this vicious attack. And we're outraged as well as heartbroken. President Biden facing up to the last reality he ever wanted to encounter. The deaths of 13 American troops, we now know two British nationals, and 170 Afghans, maybe more, murdered by a suicide bomber and his fellow gun-toting terrorists with ISIS-K, the splinter group of Islamic State that now seems able to operate in Kabul with impunity. The president has, on numerous occasions in the last month, assured the American people and the country's global allies that the 20-year war has achieved its objectives. It saw Osama bin Laden removed from the battlefield, he says, even though that operation was opposed by then-Vice President Joe Biden. And he says it has successfully cleansed Afghanistan of the opportunity to serve as a haven for terrorism, even though last night he found himself making this pledge to find and eliminate terrorists operating on Afghan soil. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. I will defend our interests and our people with every measure at my command. The president's appearance last night was searing. You'll have seen the grief-stricken picture of him, his head resting on his clasped hands, his eyes closed, an iconic portrait of his presidency for the ages. There were moments in that press conference when he further revealed himself, one section where he spoke, as he often does, about his late son, a military veteran who did not die in conflict, but whom he chose to reference as he sought to empathise with grieving military families. Being the father of an army major who served for a year in Iraq and before that was in Kosovo as a U.S. attorney for the better part of six months in the middle of a war. When he came home after a year in, a, in Iraq, he was diagnosed, like many, many coming home, with an aggressive and lethal cancer of the brain. 
we lost. We have some sense, like many of you do, what the families of these brave heroes are feeling today. You get this feeling like you're being sucked into a black hole in the middle of your chest. There's no way out. His grief over his loss is mentioned by the president so regularly that historians will debate the extent to which it may have clouded his judgment about the U.S. military withdrawal from Afghanistan. And he's not the only member of his team this week demonstrating emotions that have fueled questions about whether they can remain in their posts. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Wednesday seemed to be at breaking point, physically and emotionally shattered. And that was before the suicide attack on the air. Like many of you, I read the report of the Afghan translator whose two-year-old daughter was trampled to death on Saturday while waiting outside the airport. I've got two small kids of my own. Reading that story and others was like getting punched in the gut. All of us at the State Department and across the U.S. government feel that way. We know that lives and futures, starting with our fellow citizens, including the lives of children, hang in the balance during these critical days. And that's why everyone on our team is putting everything they have into this effort. So what of that effort? Well, the White House said this morning that another 12,500 people were evacuated from Afghanistan yesterday, a remarkable outcome given the bedlam taking place just beyond the airfield's walls. Since August the 14th, the day the Taliban took control in Kabul, the US-led effort has flown 105,000 people out of the country. But the clock is now ticking. And President Biden, who only last Friday made this pledge... Any American wants to come home, we will get you home. Last night conceded there is no chance US troops will get everyone out before they themselves board their military planes and depart by the president's arbitrarily selected deadline of Tuesday. I know of no conflict as a student of history, no conflict where when a war was ending, one side was able to guarantee that everyone they wanted to be extracted from that country would get out. Those left behind, Americans, allied foreign citizens and the Afghans who have helped them, face a deeply uncertain future. Even more so after we learnt yesterday that the US military had furnished the Taliban, the enemy, with lists of names of Americans, Afghans and others that the US wants to bring home. The president expressed hopes that the Taliban will cooperate with US efforts after the withdrawal. And remember, he is speaking here of shared interests with the same group of Islamist extremists that the US has spent two decades trying to vanquish and that only on Monday he dismissed as a ragtag force. It's in their interest that we are able to leave on time. It is not what you'd call a tightly commanded regimented operation like the US is, the military is, but they're acting in their interest, their interest. And so, by and large, and I've asked the same question to military on the ground, no one trusts them. We're just counting on their self-interest to continue to generate their activities. 
a self-described student of history there, making it up as he goes along. Joe Biden's defenders have been out in force this week, panicked by the depths of the crisis now engulfing his presidency. In a variety of fora, they have insisted it's not his fault. Donald Trump signed the deal with the Taliban. It was always going to be messy. There's enough blame to go around. Americans don't care about Afghanistan. They wanted the war to be over anyway. He can still be the most consequential president since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. There is a particularly egregious example of the genre in The Guardian today. You could read it, or more usefully, you could use it to wrap your fish and chips tonight. Some Republicans are just as absurdly calling for the president's resignation and failing that, threatening his impeachment. But others are carefully crafting the case against him that they will make in congressional hearings and that will dog the rest of his time in office. The Taliban now has access to over 85 billion dollars worth of American military equipment. Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana laying out the astounding facts. That includes 75,000 vehicles, over 200 airplanes and helicopters, over 600,000 small arms and light weapons. The Taliban now has more Black Hawk helicopters than 85% of the countries in the world. But they don't just have weapons. They also have night vision goggles, body armor, medical supplies, and unbelievably, unfathomable, unfathomable to me and so many others, is that the Taliban now has biometric devices, which have the fingerprints, eye scans, and the biographical information of the Afghans who helped us over the last 20 years. And here's what we just learned again in the briefing that we just walked out of. Is this, this administration still has no plan to get this military equipment or these supplies back. Not only no plan, Pentagon chiefs concede that when it comes to the Afghan Air Force, they don't even know where all the US-supplied fighter jets have ended up. And no one can adequately explain why, if the Biden administration knew an evacuation of Americans and others would be needed, it shuttered the Bagram Air Base last month, slinking out of it in the dead of night. American voters might indeed not care very much about the future of Afghanistan, but even Republicans who have no idea what they're talking about recognize a gift horse when it's looking them in the mouth. As you know, I knocked out 100% of the ISIS caliphate. I knocked it out. So now they have a new ISIS called ISIS-X. The former president of the United States talking utter gibberish on Fox News last night. And that's the new ISIS-X where they broke away or ISIS-K. They'll have an ISIS-X pretty soon, which is going to be worse than ISIS-K. And if you look back at a timeline, we held them totally steady. But I wanted to get out, but we had to get out with dignity. We had to take our $80 billion worth of equipment. We had to do all of the things that you know we had to do. And then I would have blown up all the air bases, but I would have kept Bagram because Bagram's located right next to China, right near China and Iran, and it's in Afghanistan. Seriously, do not laugh. He could be president again. That is what Joe Biden has now done to this country, to say nothing of the manner in which he has shredded the international alliances in which he professes to believe. 
The country, to be fair, is an entirely willing accomplice in its own demise. Amid the Afghan disaster, the scale of America's COVID-19 crisis has been insufficiently noted over the last few days. The US is now recording nearly 9,000 deaths a week, 155,000 new cases of infection a day, an upward trajectory that public health officials say shows no sign of abating, with 90 million Americans still refusing to get vaccinated. Even in Baltimore, just north of Washington, they declared a public health state of emergency this week as the president's chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, was whistling in the dark. What's going on in hospitals that are becoming overrun is really a tragedy. We here in the United States have the tools to prevent this. What you're seeing is entirely predictable if you don't get people vaccinated and yet entirely preventable by vaccine. And on the COVID front, there was something even more alarming this week, an anti-vaccine, anti-face mask activist threatening the members of the Board of Commissioners, effectively the County Council, in Ottawa, Michigan, incandescent with rage over a plan to require schoolchildren to wear masks when they return to the classroom. We're all playing games here with people's lives, and I'm sick of it. I represent all these hardworking guys that couldn't be here today to take off work to put up with this BS that you guys are putting down. And there's hell coming. There's hell coming, and I'm not doing it to threaten anybody. But there's a lot of good guys out there ready to do bad things soon. At the White House, they had to scrub yesterday's press briefing on COVID-19 because of the crisis in Afghanistan. The pandemic had to wait for another day. And in Afghanistan, the days ahead remain deeply uncertain. The Pentagon said within the last hour, they now believe the Taliban freed thousands, yes, thousands of ISIS-K terrorists from the country's jails as they advanced to take over the country. The military operation at Kabul airport is perilous. U.S. military chiefs say ISIS-K hopes to blow an American plane packed with evacuees out of the skies over the city. And once the last... C-17 departs, then the stories of those people left behind, as we all find out whether Joe Biden's gamble that he and the Taliban have shared interests pays off. As I said last week, he is no longer the master of his own presidential destiny. And in Afghanistan, Eddie, there are now thousands of terrorists more than eager to prove it. Simon Marx's American Week, back at a quarter to five, three weeks tonight. Headlines in the moment. First, the Steve Allen soundbite of the night. Des O'Connor could. This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.